I well remember our oldest daughter Ada's first Christmas tree. She was 15 months old at the time, and my wife April and I were particularly excited that Christmas because like most children that age, Ada was fascinated by lights, just mesmerized by them. Thus, I remember how eager we were that year to see what her reaction would be to seeing a Christmas tree fully lit. So one Saturday, after having picked out our tree, we put Ada down for a nap, and while she slept, April and I strung the tree with lights and decorated it with ornaments. Well, when Ada woke from her nap two hours later, we couldn't wait to carry her into the living room to watch her reaction. This was seven years ago. And looking back on it now, I suppose our expectation was that she'd be excited, that perhaps she'd scream or laugh or gasp or clap. But none of those is the reaction that we got. Instead, what we did get is something that I will never forget, something that exceeded all of our hopes and expectations. When we carried 15-month-old Ada around the corner and turned her to face the tree, instead of excitement, instead of laughter, instead of exclamation, instead of any of that, her response instead was one of sheer awe, pure wonder, her mouth, her jaw agape. And to see that kind of childlike awe on her face to see such an unmistakable expression of wonder. Well, it made me realize how seldom we as adults ever really wonder at anything at all. Oh, it's a word we use a lot. That's wonderful, we say. But how often is the word wonderful truly appropriate to what we are really feeling? How often are we really full of wonder? I raise that question tonight because we now stand at the very climax of the season that we affectionately call the most wonderful time of the year. And as such, I want to make certain tonight that we remember just what it is that is so wonderful about it. Which leads me to a quick word on an incident in the opening chapter of Luke's gospel, one chapter before our two gospel readings for tonight. I want to quickly look at the moment when the expectant Elizabeth receives a visit from her cousin Mary. Elizabeth, in this passage, 
somehow apprehending that Mary is also pregnant, and pregnant, no less, with the Israelites' promised Messiah, the Messiah whom they have been expecting some 600 years. Somehow apprehending this, Elizabeth in this passage exclaims, why do I have this honor that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Why do I have this honor, she asks. Why? That the Lord should come to me. This is such a searching question. A deep and profound question. It's a question born of sincere humility. It is a question born of shock and awe and disbelief. It is a question born of wonder. At the reality of encountering the incarnate God in Mary's womb, Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, why do I have this honor? As we gather on this Christmas Eve, and as we closely consider the story that we are celebrating tonight and the event that we are marking, as we do, this is the question that we ought to be asking ourselves. Why do we have this honor that our Lord should come to us? For is this not the Christmas story? That God so loved the world that God entered it as a human being so that through His communion with us we might be made whole, might be made new, might be reunited with Him, might be reconciled with Him and one another, might become bearers of eternal life. Is this not the story? That is what the earliest Christ followers celebrated and proclaimed, that God came to earth to visit them. And the very thought of that filled them with wonder. And here's the way they pictured it. This is the biblical cosmology. In other words, this is the conception the first century Israelites had of creation. This was it. All of it. We must remember, this was long before Copernicus or Galileo or Kepler or Newton. This was long before science had discovered that the earth was not the center of the universe. In fact, this was long before there was any conception of a universe at all. And so for the first century Israelites, this was how created reality was conceived. It was five-tiered in their minds. There was the earth in the middle, and above the earth was the sky, which was sealed off by the firmament, a dome-like structure that They believe separated the earth from heaven, otherwise known as God's realm, where God dwelled. 
Then just below the earth was the underworld called Sheol. And then under Sheol were what they called, quote, the waters of the deep. And that was it. In their minds, that was all of created reality. So when the biblical writers said that God became human and entered the world and dwelt upon earth, this was their conception of what that meant. That God came down from this localized heaven up here up top and became a human being on earth here in the middle and lived in the person of Jesus for 33 years. And again, this claim astounded them, filled them with wonder that the creator of all of this would condescend to leave his realm and enter theirs and to enter their realm as another human being, no less. That God would scale down to such smallness, to such insignificance. It was an astounding claim. Mind-boggling claim. And so why, they wondered, would God look upon our lowly status and come down to meet us where we are? Why, they wondered, do we have this honor. Well, that was some 2,000 years ago. And the story we believe, the story we celebrate at Christmas, is the same story those first century Christians believed. We, too, claim that God, out of love for us, became incarnate on earth as a human being. Only the scale on which we understand this claim is slightly larger, slightly grander. Because whereas this was the conception of the universe in the first century, this is the conception of the known universe now. There, that little dot, that insignificant little speck in that vast cosmos, this is the earth. And that is what we Christians are saying that God, the creator of all of this, loved so much that he chose to enter it as a human being. Should just take a moment to take all that in. Again, that's us, a tiny little pinprick in our own galaxy, the Milky Way. Understand, this picture is just one galaxy. Current astrophysics holds that there are, conservatively speaking, 200 billion galaxies in the known universe. 200 billion. Does that size astound you? Does it disorient you? Does it dizzy you? Does it overwhelm you? It ought to. 
And so now then, taking into account the immensity of the known universe, and holding on to this sense of amazement at what a grand spectacle the known universe is, with all of this in mind, let us consider one more time what it is that we are celebrating at Christmas. That God so loved the world, our little world, so much that He chose to enter it as a human being. That God chose to diminish Himself to the point of becoming a tiny baby on that tiny speck in this massive universe. And not only that He did it, but that He did it for you, that He did it for me. If we believe that, then the very idea ought to marvel us. It ought to overwhelm us. It ought to dizzy us and humble us and make us fall upon our knees in worship. It ought to make us instinctively proclaim that which Mary proclaimed. My soul doth magnify your name, O God. Because when we really think about what Christmas is, when we really consider what it is that we are saying took place at Christmas, then we realize that what God did that day exceeds all hopes, all expectations we could ever have concerning God's love for us. Each Christmas season, we hear Andy Williams sing of the season. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And he's right. It is. But not because there are parties for hosting and marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow. But because at Christmas, we're celebrating the most wonderful moment in human history. And so as we reflect tonight on these words from Luke chapter 2, and as we listen to the angels say to the shepherds in the nearby fields, to you this day in the city of David a Savior is born, may we not overlook what it is that they are saying. May we not overlook the immensity of what it is they are claiming. Instead, may we rightly drop our jaws in awe like my daughter Ada. May we lift our voices in praise along with Mary. And may we remember anew why Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Amen.